This Connect podcast series is brought to you by Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome. I'm Karen Cole, Editor-in-Chief of Talent Talks and Life Online. Ricky is the Associate Director at Womanico Transforming Spaces. Now, Womanico is such an interesting business because it's a specialist consultancy that specializes in gender equality, working with corporates, non-governmental organizations, and donors. They provide services for complete gender transformative change, including diagnostics, advisory, program facilitation, leadership development, coaching, and evaluation. Now, Ricky herself is a mother of five and comes from a social justice and human rights background. She is passionate about gender equality and system change and believes in the possibility of change, growth, and healing. Together, we will be recording our Mind the Gap series of conversations through which we endeavor to get to the heart of the matter when it comes to gender inequality. We'll be taking a very systemic view of this pervasive issue which we discuss, which makes inequality and gender bias just so sticky and start looking at what small successive steps are needed to create lasting change. Today, we are kicking off our Mind the Gap series with our part one, which is really focusing on why is it so hard? So together, Ricky and I will be discussing just how far women have come in our fight for equality and the systemic forces still at play in holding us back from achieving true transformation. Part two of our series, we discuss the role of ethnicity and perpetuating gender inequality. Part three, we start exploring how carrying an unfair share of the mental load is actually holding women back and just what we can do about it. Part four examines the role that women play in driving transformation, while part five, we pivot our focus to look at how men can be an ally to us in driving this change. And rounding out our sessions in part six, when we take a practical view of just what needs to happen now in order to, for us to move forward. Now, that was quite a mouthful from our side, but welcome, Ricky. It is great to have this series of conversations with you. Thank you, Karen. I'm looking so forward to the discussions that we're going to be having. Now, Ricky, having specialized in gender inequality, paint us a picture of the struggles that women have overcome so far. Karen, so the challenge is that women have been struggling for gender equality in the world of work since the 1800s is where some of the struggles have been charted. And it's very difficult to understand why so little progress has been made. If we look at some of the major struggles and then we look at where we are today, we'll see that there hasn't been much progress made. So the first struggle for women was just the struggle to get into the workplace. Historically, women were expected to stay at home, care for the family, while men would work and provide for the family. So entry into the workplace became more more acceptable during the two world wars. And it was only after World War I that women were able to find a footing in the workplace. But even today, ILO statistics that tell us that only 47% of women work formally. This is compared to 72% of men. But once women got into the workplace, one of the big struggles they had was to be seen as equally capable. By this, I mean being given the opportunity to do the jobs that men did, and being given the opportunity to progress into leadership. So despite the progress that we have made in all this time, 
you still find what we call male-dominated occupations. They are entire occupations where they are less than 25% of women in those occupations. Some of those include the electrician occupation, uh, computer network architects, and mechanical engineers. At the same time, if you look at leadership, the, the first woman leader in a Fortune 500 company was recorded in 1972 in the United States. But today, there are only 5% of women CEOs in the world and only 31% of senior management across the world are women. So again, you see that despite years of struggle, we haven't really been able to make the strides that we're wanting to make. Now, when you look at women in the workplace, They've had very particular experiences and they have been more fights over the past decades for better experiences. That means equal pay and that means better experiences in looking after the very specific needs of women. And yet, even today, women earn 28% less than men. Even today, women still suffer in countries of having unpaid maternity leave. Even today, women continue to suffer sexual harassment and gender-based violence in the workplace. So there's been a lot of progress in the past two decades, I would say, with more focus on the, uh, the pay gap, with more focus on sexual harassment after the hashtag MeToo campaign, and with more focus on family responsibility and flexible work after the COVID pandemic. And now we're getting to a place where we're really seeing that the issues are much more intersectional and it's not just about women's issues and the benefits can benefit men as well. But we still live in a world where the World Economic Forum tells us that it'll take us 135 years to achieve gender equality. This is despite knowing that gender equality improves the economic development in the world and it improves the workplace. It improves productivity, innovation, talent retention, organizational reputation, and employee well-being. So we have a long way to go yet. Gosh, that's that's a frightening statistic, and um, you know that you've just quoted that it'll take 135 years for us to drive transformation. And I think you know it just speaks to you know what I referred to earlier as the stickiness, and it really is such a pervasive systemic problem. Because even as you're speaking, you know when you mention things like maternity. Women don't have a choice. We are the only sex or gender that can carry children. So whether we like it or not, those of us that choose to to become mothers or as family units decide to have children, the burden rests solely on us. And yet we're being penalized within the workplace because of that that gender-based role that, that is assigned to us at birth. So it is really difficult. Talk to us about some of the other systemic forces that really caused this inequality to be so sticky. I think for us to understand why we've made so little progress in gender equality, particularly in the world of work, is about how we define the world of work. And one of the concepts that I think is really important for us to deal with is the concept of the ideal worker. Essentially, when workplaces were designed in the age of industrialization, they were designed for this ideal worker. And the ideal worker was seen as someone who's very rational, someone who is a strong leader or a strong follower, someone who's committed to their work and is unencumbered by family responsibilities or any other responsibilities. And if you think about that kind of description, for me, it describes a man. Some people may argue with that view. But if we were to flip those characteristics, what we would have or we'd be describing would be an emotional person, often associated with women, someone who doesn't have leadership skills, how women are often seen 
and someone whose commitment to work is challenged by family and other responsibilities. And as you've just explained, women, because of the primary caregiving role they play, whether they give birth to children or not, often have to balance workplace commitments with family responsibility commitment. And so we have to understand that we still today live in a world that has been designed for this ideal worker from the working hours that we have to the ways that we are expected to behave to what is considered a good leader to the ways that we are expected to dress and what underlies that stickiness as you use it is our social norms what people often think about when they think about gender equality in the workplace is they try to divorce it from gender equality in society but actually in society it is our beliefs and norms around women their responsibilities, their roles, what they should be doing. That is defining how we see women in the workplace. So women are expected to do family responsibility and care work. They're expected to be good mothers. They're expected to provide care in society, to be soft and emotional. And because we believe that in society, we also believe that at work. And that's the hardest thing to break because what most people don't realize is our beliefs define our decisions at work. Our beliefs define who we will recruit. Our beliefs define what opportunities we will put in place. And so I mentioned the statistic that only 5% of CEOs in the world are women and only 31% of senior management are women, which means that the majority of decision makers in the workplace who set up the systems, who set up the processes, who decide what maternity leave, how much maternity leave, who decide who gets recruited and who's a good leader and who has potential to progress are men. And they're men who live in a society that says to us that women should be playing a very particular role. So if we really want to um, address this, what we have to do is begin to tackle what people believe and help them to understand that that really impacts the decisions they're making on a daily basis in the workplace. Absolutely. And, you know, as you're speaking, I'm just thinking now about the, you know, what's been really publicized lately are the, the anti-abortion uh, laws that have come back into effect, uh, particularly in the in the US and, and, and obviously are being questioned globally. But again, they would just look at that. That is a predominantly a group of men making a decision on the basis of women and essentially that's that's just setting us back even further isn't it yes it is because if we begin to understand women as equal and autonomous beings who are able to make decisions including decisions about their own bodies and who are able to really balance out the reality of life we see it as women's lives but it's actually life Women and men are parents. If, if we begin to draw from the lessons of how women are balancing their life, that is when we can really begin to build a world that is more respectful of our humanity. One of the things about the ideal worker is that the ideal worker is an automaton. They don't have feelings. They don't look after themselves and their well-being. They don't look after their, their lives and family. And that doesn't benefit men either. So really the issue is how do we draw from the value and the lessons that women can show us to make sure that workplaces um, and the idea of the ideal worker is for a full rounded human being. 
Absolutely. And I think the only thing that kind of gives me a little bit of hope that we might lessen the time on, on that horrendous statistic you quoted, that 135 years, is, is kind of what we've been through in the pandemic. We are seeing a a shift towards leadership characteristics that I suppose were characterized as as softer before. So the recognition of that need for empathy, um, you know, the cultures are shifting, that that need for purpose, the the recognition of well-being at work. So it's almost as though for the first time we are waking up to to the importance of of humanity and, and people that we are human, not just this ideal work. So so perhaps that will go a long way in kind of starting to shift this as well. So, you know, the qualities that women typically bring into an organization are being a little bit more recognized now than they were in the past. Do you find that at all? In the COVID pandemic era, we have really had to reckon with some of the qualities that women bring into leadership. Um, and a lot of organizations have had to do a lot of inclusive leadership development work, build these empathetic skills and capabilities so that they could help their employees to really um, navigate the challenges of the pandemic. But also on top of that, a lot of men have realized that they enjoy their roles as fathers. They enjoy having flexible time. So they are also beginning to see that the benefits that women have fought for all these years are benefits for them as well. So there's at least a, a, a rainbow to come out of the kind of the storm we've been through over the past while is, you know, just just us waking up to to those those things, things that we we thought maybe we didn't value as highly before that suddenly have just been brought to light. So at least one one silver lining of the cloud that has hung over us in the past while. Now, Ricky, tell me a little bit more about the initiatives that are undertaken by Womanico specifically to drive this transformation. What are you guys doing to practice what you preach? So in Womanico, we practice what we preach by running it in our organization. We are a women-led organization and a huge part of how we do our organizational function is focused on recognizing the needs of women, of the women that we work with. Um, so one example is we have a gender sway approach, right? We have a work sway, work life sway approach that we use, which means that we don't expect the women that we work with in our organization to always show up for work. And most people talk about work-life balance and work-life balance suggests that somehow you're managing to keep all the balls in the air all of the time. But work-life sway really recognizes that as a full human being, sometimes you have to focus on the challenges and on the needs at home. And sometimes you have to focus on work. And how do you do that as an individual in a workplace unless the workplace gives you the time to be able to focus on your needs at home? And unless the team really finds a way of balancing the work needs. Um, so we practice that on a daily, in our daily practice, how we run our meetings. But with organizations, we really try to teach some of these tools so that they can really begin to understand and to practice differently because it's a behavioral thing. It's not just understanding um, my own beliefs and how they impact the decisions I'm making. It's about how do you build different 
practices and systems within the workplace. So we really try to convey some of these practices within the workplace. We have a number of programs. We have a program that focuses on leadership because we believe that without leadership having a full commitment to gender equality, it is really difficult to change an organization. Many leaders will pledge, will sign up to many different agreements, and they will state in their values and principles that they believe in gender equality. But where you know that it exists is where the systems of an organization show it exists. That's where you'll see that the decisions a leader makes are supporting um, gender equality. And so our Beyond the Pledge program is about helping a leader to become the person who doesn't sign for a brand purpose on the value of gender equality, but who knows how to do the work in an organization, who knows how to build practices and build a culture that enables gender equality. We also do a lot of platforms for women. During the COVID pandemic, we started a campaign called Dare to See Us, which was just about providing space for women to talk about the issues that they were facing, the challenges they were facing, space for women to really find tools to be able to navigate those challenges. Sometimes it meant navigating them at home, like even within your home, because the workplace became home in many senses. But more and more, as we are coming out of lockdowns as a response to the pandemic, we're also looking at how women navigate and take these challenges back into the workplace. How do we pull from the benefits and the, and the value that we saw in the pandemic? The things you were saying, the values of what are seen as women's characteristics that were drawn on during the pandemic. The knowing that now, as a reality, women do have care work responsibilities, family responsibilities, and work responsibilities. How do they manage all of those? So some of the benefits that came out of COVID, we really tried to give them tools to be able to go back to the workplace, to negotiate for those benefits to be perpetuated, and to navigate the very new context, the hybrid context, and the challenges that it's bringing into the, into the world of work. Absolutely. And I think it's going to be so key to, to watch what happens next, because, you know, I, I think the risk at the moment is that we kind of go back to normal as things start stabilizing, even even when we enter this hybrid workforce and a lot of, of companies already have, you know, that we don't revert to still, and I know we're going to discuss this in one of our later episodes, that particularly in heterosexual couples specifically, women still carry the bulk of what is known as that mental load or, or the, the unseen work that is done. And I think that's going to be quite a, a thing for us to straddle as we start returning to some form of normal that we don't carry with that, that need to save, that need to rescue, that so often plague us and hamper us in driving transformation. But Ricky, thank you. I have so enjoyed our discussion today. I love the gender, the work sway as opposed to work-life balance because it, it really is. It's a it's an intricate dance we do every day and it, it certainly is not balanced. And and sometimes we're on form and we're getting everything right and there's no balls dropping in other days. You know, we're, we're judging ourselves because we feel like failures because we weren't able to hold two up. And, mm. you know, what you've, what you've said sparks, I read somewhere once and I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the author, but, you know, life is about juggling a lot of these balls and it's just important to realize not all of them are glass and that it's okay to let some of those drop from time to time as long as the glass ones don't fall. So, so I'm really looking forward to these conversations because I think there's just so much to learn in this and probably so many ways in which 
women can take control of the situation and seek to start breaking a lot of these norms. And I'm really excited at, at looking at that and, and just how we start shaping our, our own future and certainly reducing that 135 years to transformation. So thank you so much. Of course, part two, which is coming up next, we will really start looking at that role of ethnicity in gender inequality. And it's often that role of an ethnicity that kind of gets swept under the carpet when we're looking at this. You know, we, we tend to have these micro focuses, one on, on racial inequality, one on gender inequality. So I'm really looking forward to, to exploring how these two work together and really bringing that to light in terms of the dynamics there. So thank you very much, Ricky. Any last words before we cut out from today? Thanks, Karen. Um, I do want to just reiterate what you just said, that in trying to find a balance in life, we are juggling many balls. And it's very important for us as individuals, as women, to be gentle on ourselves when we need to put a ball down instead of seeing ourselves as dropping the ball and breaking something. 